Welcome to Christ Community Church. My name is Andrea and I'm the Upper Elementary Coordinator and Student Ministries Associate. Here at Christ Community, our mission is to restore our broken world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. At this time, I'm gonna have the ushers come forward to collect our offering today. If you're visiting here with us today, we just wanna say welcome home. We're so excited to have you here, whether this is your first time or whether you've been attending for years. We're super, super excited to have you joining us today. Now, if you are new, we would love to connect with you. We want you to be a part of the community and the family that we have here at Christ Community. So a great place to start with that is by grabbing the connection card that's in the seat back in front of you, taking a minute or two to fill that out, and you can bring that to the welcome desk where we have a special gift for you. On the back side of that card is a spot for prayer requests. Now this is for everybody. We would love to join with you in praying for the things that are on your heart. So you can fill that out, drop it in the offering bag, or again, bring it to the welcome desk. Guess what? Ladies night is coming up. Cabin fever is Friday, February 28th from 6 to 11.30 p.m. here at CCC. We're gonna have canvas painting, board games, snacks, worship, and a late night movie. We would love to have you ladies come on out. It's a great time to connect and a great time to bring friends. We're gonna have some ladies hanging out and handing out postcards after service today, so be sure to grab one of those. Now, what are you doing in a couple of weeks? Here at Christ Community, we're gonna be celebrating with Spring Baptism Weekend on March 14th and 15th. It's such an exciting weekend to come and celebrate those taking this next step. And if you're one of those interested in taking this next step, we invite you to email Sarah in the front office and she can get you signed up or answer any questions that you have. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have one final announcement for you, and that is that Easter extravaganza is coming up on March 21st. Now, this is an Easter experience for the entire family, so we would love to have you come and join us. Chris Cakes will be flipping pancakes, we'll have an indoor Easter egg hunt, and we'll have crafts and all sorts of other activities for the entire family. So you can head to our website to check out some more information and to get your family registered. That's all I have for you guys today. Thanks for worshiping with us, and I hope that you enjoy the rest of our service. Greetings, church. Is it going to snow tomorrow? Is that why you're here? <laughs> wow, this is amazing. <laughs>
since this is my last uh, time scheduled to preach, I want to take a moment to express to you my appreciation for the privilege that I've had over the last year and a half to serve here under Pastor Dave. We've come to love this church, to love you. Uh, you are a generous, caring, gifted congregation and a whole lot healthier maybe today than you were, say, two years ago. Because of the leadership of Pastor Dave, because the elders and the staff, ministry teams, search committee have been willing to do a lot of hard work, and because you as a church have persevered in the midst of some significant transition issues. So I praise God for you. This is an exciting time now in the life of our congregation as we anticipate Pastor uh, Darrell beginning uh, March 1st. First full weekend preaching will be March 7th and 8th. So these are exciting times. You are ready, and we are excited for you. I will miss you. But I promise to continue to pray for you and certainly want to follow your story. Now, uh, before we get into the teaching tonight, uh, I've been asked to lead us in a time of prayer for Chuck Van Havermat. Uh, Chuck is very visible along with his family out in the lobby greeting people, ushering. He and his wife Barb are involved in a number of ministry teams. And uh, this past week, uh, a few days ago, Chuck suffered a massive, life-threatening heart attack. He's in ICU tonight. So uh, please join me as we look to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, you call yourself and reveal yourself as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so we pray that you might be pleased to touch the life of Chuck and to bring healing to him. We ask, Lord, for your healing presence, the life of Barb and their three boys, Ben and Dan and Sam. Father, grant them grace in the midst of this very difficult time. May your comforting presence be very real. We also want to pray for our church as we move into the future. Father, we pray for Pastor Darrell and Marie Holden as they begin their ministry soon. We pray for a smooth and quick transition that they will love this place and this place will love them. Grant, Lord, grace as well to each one of us to embrace the truth about you and to live out in our own spheres of involvement the mission of Jonah. And so we ask that the concern that you have for the nations, for the world, would be ours especially when it comes to sharing the wonderful good news and the grace found in the gospel of our Lord. So, Father, give us ears to hear now, eyes to see what you're saying to us as a congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me encourage you, if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your device, to turn to the Old Testament book of Jonah. Jonah, the last chapter, the fourth. I think I've Failed to look it up in the uh, 
Bible in the rack, what page that is. I think it's like 927, something in that area. So Jonah chapter 4, as tonight we conclude our mini-series in this Old Testament book. I find it interesting that so many people outside the church are familiar at least with parts of the story of Jonah. They probably heard that he was swallowed by a great fish, as the Bible tells us. may have been a whale or a whale shark or some other uh, fish. We don't know for sure. But we've also learned that the primary character in this story is not Jonah. It's really a story primarily about God. And it features one particular aspect of his character, namely the largeness of God's heart. That our God is a God of incredible grace who cares about lost people. Jonah only cared about grace going to himself, and he certainly didn't care for lost people. And unfortunately, oftentimes, we're a lot like Jonah. I know I am. I can be pretty much concerned about one person, this guy right here. My comfort, my happiness, even in the face of opportunities to serve others, or for that matter, to carry on a spiritual conversation with somebody who may or may not be far from God. And the reality also is some of you are also something like Jonah. I mean, when was the last time you had a spiritual conversation with someone about his or her need for Jesus Christ? So together as a church, we need to learn the lesson that Jonah needed to learn, namely that our God of grace calls us to be a people of grace because lost people matter to him. And we see that played out in every episode throughout the story of Jonah. So look at God's grace. Recall it with respect to this prophet Jonah. Here's how the book begins in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach. And of course, we know he did the very opposite. Instead of going like 550 miles east toward Nineveh, which is located in modern-day Iraq. He got on a ship, paid the fare. ship was headed for Tarshish, no doubt a port located on what is now the coast of Spain, going in the opposite direction, wanting nothing to do with this commission that God had entrusted to him. And we saw how God paved the way then for this prophet's restoration, all about grace, as God whips up the sea, creates this storm, which terrifies even veteran sailors. So they ask, what do we do? Jonah says, I'm the cause for the storm. Throw me overboard. The sea will become calm. Reluctantly, they do just that. And God causes this fish to swallow the prophet, bringing him up on dry land three days later. And he gets this recommission. This is how we read about that in chapter 3. The opening verses, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So we see God's grace extended to this prophet, restoring him to ministry, giving him a second chance. We also see grace given to these pagan Gentile sailors, who with the start of the storm are in terror and are doing what you would expect pagan Gentiles to do. Namely, it says in verse 5, each was 
calling out to his own God, but having heard the testimony of Jonah and witnessing the calming of the ocean, they become believers. They are brought into a favorable relationship with God where it says they offer him sacrifices of praise and worship and even make vows or promises to him. Why? Because God is a God of incredible grace who cares about lost people. We also see grace extended, of course, to the people of Nineveh, wicked city. That's chapter 3, as God uses the preaching of this prophet Jonah to bring about a great revival. This is what it says in verse 5 of that third chapter. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, this heavy, coarse garment, as a way of demonstrating their sorrow for their previous disobedience. So God extends grace not only to the prophet and to these sailors, but to the people living in this hostile environment, the city of Nineveh. Wouldn't you expect, following all of that, that this would be great cause for celebration and joy? This is the greatest achievement of Jonah's prophetic ministry. So how does he react? Now we come to chapter 4, and this is how the chapter begins in verse 1. Literal translation from the Hebrew. But all this was grievous to Jonah, a great evil, and he was very angry. So what is great to God, grace going out to the people of Nineveh, is a great evil as far as Jonah is concerned. He's fine with grace going to himself, but to nobody else, certainly not going to Nineveh, and Jonah is ticked. Now at the start of the story, we may have thought that God's great concern is going to be, what am I going to do with these wicked people of the city of Nineveh? But as we get further into the story, it becomes very clear that God's great concern is, what am I going to do with a smug, superior, self-righteous, spiritually cold and indifferent prophet? And what am I going to do to people of the 21st century who sit on a, in a church on a Saturday night in Rochester, Minnesota, who along with the pastor, the guy preaching, may be something like Jonah too? Well, of course, God's desire is to transform the heart of any Jonah. So how is he going to do that? He wants to transform me, and he wants to transform you and transform this church. How is God going to do that? Well, let me give you the theme of the sermon tonight. This is the sermon in one sentence. So if anybody asks you, what was Pastor Richard's sermon about? You can write this down, and here it is. By means of three searching questions and concerns... Our God of grace calls us to be a people of grace. If you only get the last part, that's fine. Our God of grace calls us to be a people of grace. So the method that God wants to use to restore us so that we have hearts that beat after his heart is to raise three searching questions, each of which draws attention to a concern that needs to be addressed in my life and your life if lost people are going to matter to us. So what are the questions? Well, the first one reveals need for a change in our thinking. Here's the question God asked Jonah in verse 4. Have you any right to be angry? Now, with this first question, Jonah is being asked to judge whether he is right in his thinking regarding lost people or whether the God of the universe is right. 
It's as if God is saying, now Jonah, we're looking at this same situation from two entirely different perspectives. I am so pleased with the repentance of the people of Nineveh, and you are very angry. Jonah, which of us has the right perspective? Well, of course, there's no way that Jonah is going to win an argument with the God of the universe, but that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We need to look at what leads up to this question and how the issues that lead up to the question impact you and me today. So let me read the first four verses of this fourth chapter. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. This is over the repentance of the city. He prayed to the Lord. O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? He means back in Israel. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a God of a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, and here's our first question, have you any right to be angry? Now, in Jonah's anger expressed in this prayer, there are several things that we need to consider. First of all, what this prophet is actually doing is trying to justify his previous disobedience. It's as if he's saying, this is why I refused to go to Nineveh when you first called me and why I was right to refuse to go. Jonah understands that if God had any intent to really destroy these people, he didn't have to send him 550 miles from Israel all the way to Nineveh in order to warn them. He could have toasted them on the spot. So Jonah is thinking God is up to no good, as far as he's concerned, extending grace to these people. You may recall from an earlier message in this series, we learned from 2 Kings chapter 14 that Jonah early earlier in his ministry predicted there would be a time when God was going to restore the borders of the nation of Israel through a wicked king of Israel by the name of Jeroboam II. So Jonah learned from that experience that there are times that God may extend his compassion, his goodness and his grace to wicked types of people. And so he's thinking now, yeah, that's probably what God's going to do. He doesn't have to send me there to warn them. He's probably going to extend grace. And the thought of him doing that just upsets me. I can't stand it. So here's my question for you. Do we ever try to justify ourselves, either to ourselves or maybe even to God, particularly in the face of opportunities to make him known in his gospel? Anything that we say or do to try to justify our silence? Well, yeah, I'm afraid we do. How do we do that? Well, let me share with you some ways. Look at this chart that I've created. Look at the, uh, the column on the far left, first of all, under fear. So there are, are some fear-based issues that cause us oftentimes to back away in the face of opportunities to tell others about Jesus Christ. One would be the fear of what to say or people's questions, what if I can't answer their questions? Fear of failure, fear of the unknown, of rejection. We all want to be liked. And if I tell them about Christ and their need for Jesus, maybe they'll reject me. Peer pressure. Others, with regard to the middle column, struggle with a sense of inadequacy. Don't have time to give to people, or maybe it's a faith issue, kind of question whether 
certain aspects of the story are going to do any good. This person is so far gone, there's no hope. Or maybe it's a knowledge of the Bible issue or a lack of love, complacency. For others, it's misunderstanding, maybe about evangelism and whose role it is or the message. Maybe we have doubts about certain things with regard to the message or maybe people don't really need this. Living as we do in a postmodern world where the idea is that all truth claims are equally valid, do people really need Jesus today? Or maybe it's an issue of a methodology, how to go about doing it. Friends, a number of these issues can be addressed very simply if we're willing, first of all, to have a spiritual conversation with a Christian, to ask a brother or sister in Christ, do you have these struggles? If so, how do you handle them? Maybe it's going, if you're a young person in youth group, to one of the pastors. Uh, maybe if you're part of a life group, going to your life group, discussing it as a life group. In addition, maybe it means if it's too late to get involved in the class being offered on Sunday mornings entitled Evangelism in a Skeptical World, maybe it's at least buying the book and beginning to read it, where you own the responsibility to get some help along these lines. But the place to begin is to recognize that these are attempts to justify our silence. Then, in addition, I think Jonah is trying here to turn God against God. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. It's as if he's quoting God's word back to him in sort of a warped desire to prove that he, Jonah, is in the right and God is the one who's in the wrong. If you go back to what he says about the character of God in this statement in verses 3 and 4, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now look at these verses from Exodus chapter 34. The Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So it's as if Jonah is saying, God, is this not what you said about your character? And if this is what you said, why did you send me to Nineveh if you had never, no intent of carrying out your word to me? Isn't it not true that I, Jonah, am the one who's in the right, and you, God, are two-faced and in the wrong? That seems to be his argument. It's the danger of quoting scripture to try to justify disobedience, and in this case, a lack of concern for other people. And again, I want to ask you the question, do we ever do that? Well, I'm afraid we do. Let me give you a couple of examples. We may know from other messages throughout the past few months here that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. One of them is called the gift of evangelism. It's the ability to share the gospel with other people with a, a measure of freedom and even effectiveness. You may know from surveys that on average 10% of churchgoers have the spiritual gift of evangelism, which means 90% of us don't. And you may be saying, yeah, it's not my thing, so forget about evangelism, right? I care about kids, or I'm involved in this ministry or that area. Forget this evangelism stuff. 
But friends, we all have a role to play. The amazing thing is that God wants somebody just like you. With your personality, you don't have to be like Dynamic Donna or Extrovert Ed. Just be yourself. Your personality, your life experiences and gifts to build relationships with your neighbors and coworkers, friends at school, people so that you can love them and share ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his goal for you. And even though we may not have the gift of evangelism, there's something we all do have, and that's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, guess what? That's already happened. If you're a believer in Christ, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. To do what? Well, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So some of us may be tempted to use arguments like this argument about who has the gift and who doesn't have the gift of evangelism to justify our silence. Others may try to justify their disobedience with a wrong view about God's love. It goes something like this. Some would argue that God would never consider sending somebody to hell who has never had a chance to hear about Jesus, would he? The fact of the matter is we're all born separate from God, depraved, essentially under his wrath and condemnation. But the reality is we use this argument and then we say, well, let's not tell them about Jesus because if we tell them about Jesus and they reject Jesus, they're going to be in worse shape. Friends, we need to recognize that all of these are attempts to justify our disobedience. So never we find ourselves arguing like this, even trying to justify our silence with words of Scripture, we're very much like this prophet. So what in the world is wrong with this guy? What is it that causes him to be so insensitive to people who need God? Well, maybe it's the very thing that causes us to be that way, frankly, and that is oftentimes a flawed understanding of God's grace. Jonah and people like Jonah, maybe even you, need to be put right in our thinking. Yes, God has revealed himself as a God of compassion and grace and forgiveness and all of this, but as far as Jonah is concerned, that's just for fellow Jews, not for people who are, you know, different. So deep down, Jonah still thinks any grace that goes to him is something that he has merited. He probably grew up in a, in a good religious family that took the Bible very seriously and went to services on a regular basis. I mean, he is part of the nation of Israel. He is even a prophet. And so he's probably thinking, what I get, I've deserved. No. Grace doesn't have anything to do with what we deserve. It's unmerited favor. It's God's compassion given to people who deserve just the opposite. So it's not as though God looks down from heaven and says, Oh, I see you're a white-skinned American. Do you ever deserve grace? Oh, you go to what church in Rochester? Christ Community Church? Oh, wow, here's some forgiveness for you. You serve around here? Wow, that's incredible. Here's some additional uh, mercy that I'm going to give to you. Now, all of this, if you sit here tonight in a state of grace, it's because God in his sovereignty chose to give you that grace. He's given you new birth. He's enabled you to respond to his gospel. He has set his love upon you. 
He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's declared you of right standing before him. He's adopted you into his family. You have a purpose in life and even a hope for heaven. I mean, you've got so many blessings all over the place, all of which is of grace. So now that we understand something of what leads up to God's question to this man, let's come back to the question in verse 4. Have you any right to be angry? Now, I'm not angry. Maybe you're not angry either, so maybe we need to slightly modify the question. God asks you and me, do you have any right to be insensitive? Any right to be prideful and indifferent and cold-hearted and apathetic when it comes to the mission that I've given you of telling others about me? I mean, if you know that I'm a compassionate, gracious God who forgives, that's got to do something to your heart, doesn't it? It should cause each one of us to do what we talked about probably in the first message in this series, namely it's going to cause us to notice people. It's going to cause us to pray, secondly, by name for them, that God would tenderize their hearts and meet any needs that they may have. And thirdly, to be open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to tell them about the one way that transformation can come and they can come to know a loving God. So where does this all begin? It begins with a concern that we become right in our thinking. So, right about lost people. That leads to a second concern and question, a need for a change in attitude. So now God asks, verse 9, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Now let me read what happens. Chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in a shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided the first of three things. A vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided something else, a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided something else, a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, and here's our second question, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I am angry enough to die. I mean, isn't this, doesn't this sound like a, a five-year-old pouting, throwing a temper tantrum? That's Jonah. Now, we need to understand that there's a whole lot more going on here than just his concern about a possible sunburn. Yeah, what these verses are revealing is that if we're going to care about people the way God does, we need a change in our attitude toward them. Let me explain. Oftentimes, the prophets were called by God to deliver their message in a dramatic way, that is, to act it out. So, for example, at a time when the nation of Israel was in rebellion against God, unfaithful in terms of going after other lovers in the form of idols, God has one of his prophets named Hosea marry a prostitute. Can you imagine? And every time you would see Hosea and his prostitute wife walking down the street, you go, oh yeah, okay. God's message to me that I've been unfaithful to him by going after other lovers in the form of idols. 
On another occasion, he has Ezekiel stay on his side for 390 days toward the east as a way of proclaiming the message, judgment is coming from that direction. In all of these and other cases where there is this acting out of the message, we have the same kind of scenario where uh, the prophet is the actor and the nation is the audience, except for here. Here, God is the actor and uh, Jonah is the audience. And what God is doing is, again, trying to restore the heart of this man. So how does he do it? Well, he does it by means of this vine or this plant. So Jonah goes outside the city gate, and he's sitting there. He's ticked because of repentance, grace going to the people of Nineveh, and now he's really ticked because of the heat of the sun. So God does the unexpected. He creates this vine. He gives this man shade. Now, this is full of meaning for any Israelite that would be listening to this story. Because any Israelite, you know, a desert people for the most part, would understand that shade is a symbol of the care and the protection of God. It's a sign of his covenant goodness and faithfulness to his people. So yeah, Jonah is very happy about the vine, not only because it's going to shield him from possible sunstroke, He's happy about the vine because he sees it as a symbol of the faithfulness and the goodness and the protection of God against the enemy. So maybe, just maybe, the city of Nineveh is, go is going down after all. So what does this say for you and for me? Well, it's somewhat ironic that while God continues to extend grace to this man, Jonah remains with the same judgmental spirit, unloving, critical to the core toward people who are different. George Barna has done a massive amount of research on, for Christianity and the church and all kinds of very helpful things, including at times doing surveys of how people outside the church feel toward those of us who are inside the church. You want to know how people out there think of us in here? Well, they use terms like these. You guys are superior. At least you think you are. Judgmental. Intolerant. Unloving. Poor listeners. Unaccepting. Those are some of the terms that get used. Attitudes just like Jonah. Now, maybe all the people out there are wrong. Or maybe I have some Jonah in me, and you do as well. As it relates to me, I can quickly put people in categories and blow them off. You know, to give you an example, traveling back and forth between my home in uh, White Bear Township and here in Rochester, up and down Highway 52, there have been occasions, this actually occurred a couple of weeks ago as we came down to hear Pastor Darrell, where all of a sudden out of the blue, this car is flying by me like I'm standing still. And you go, you know, where are the police? Where's justice? If somebody doesn't quite merge properly for me, you know, where are the police? What's going on here? Where's justice? Now, if I'm looking in my mirror and I'm seeing, you know, the flashing lights and they're coming after me, do I want justice? I don't want justice. What do I want? I want grace. Grace for this guy. Justice for everybody else. That's the very attitude of this man, Jonah, applied, in this case, you know, to people. I mean, how many times do I forget what 
Jonah either forgot or didn't care to ever remember, and that is that lost people matter to God. What people? How about the guy that will clean up your table after your meal at the restaurant you frequent? Or the homeless person who carries his little sign? Or maybe it's the successful business leader? Depressed people, happy people, divorced people, married people, single people, old people, young people, people who feel very differently about political issues than maybe you do, people who would identify themselves as members of the LGBTQ community, all kinds of people, regardless of their religious, ethnic, or racial background, or even their social standing or economic standing. God cares about people. So when one of them is separated from him, and by nature all of us are, it breaks his heart. And theologians will tell us that there was like a covenant of redemption, as they call it, a conversation that took place among the Trinity way back in eternity. And it's as if the Father said, what are we going to do? And it's as if the Son said, Father, I will go. I will enter their world. I will pay the price. I will suffer your just condemnation on behalf of the sinners that you entrust to me. I will save them. And so Jesus does just that, enters our world, dies our death. And then the God who on the third day spoke to a fish about getting rid of what was in his stomach, depositing this prophet on dry land, that same God on the third day spoke to a stone and it rolled away. And Jesus comes forth as the victorious risen Christ proving that all of his claims are true, his promises are trustworthy, and his sacrifice has been accepted as a sin offering by a holy God. And so now the Holy Spirit goes to work to apply what Jesus Christ has purchased to bring together, creating from all the nations of this world of ours, all kinds of people coming together, creating a new community called the church, all because of God's incredible grace to us. So God asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Jonah thinks he does, but of course he doesn't, just as we have no right to be insensitive and cold or indifferent toward those who are still far from him. What do we need? We need a change in our attitude. That's what we need. Thirdly, we also need a change in what we care about. God now asked the prophet, verse 11, should I not be concerned about that great city? So now we come to the end of the story. Let me read how it ends, beginning at verse 10 of this fourth chapter. But the Lord said, you have been very concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Now that's an idiom meaning they're spiritually unaware. Wouldn't you expect that? They're not from Israel. They don't have the covenants, the law of God, any of that. So they're spiritually unaware and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Now what is God doing? Well, once again, he's seeking to restore this man because of his grace. Jonah, 
let's first of all talk about the plant, the vine. Jonah, did you create this vine? Did you make it grow? Uh, no. Jonah, did you sustain it? Uh, no. How about its duration? Are you responsible for its duration? No, it came up one night and died the next day. So it's only of temporary existence. Yeah, that's, that's true. Jonah, I'm not going to argue with you. You want to have affection for a plant that you didn't create, didn't sustain, and is only of temporary existence. Then Jonah, give me my right to be concerned about, have affection for a city, the people in it who are spiritually unaware, whom I created, I sustain, and are, have immortal souls. Jonah, give me my right. Now, Jonah, let's talk about the cows. Oh, we have to talk about the cows? Yeah, let's talk about the cows, Jonah. Jonah, compared to many cows, your plant would hardly be of significance by any method of reasoning. But, Jonah, we're not talking about cows. We're not even talking about plants. We're talking about people. So that's the argument. Don't you long to know how the story ends? Don't you long to know that this prophet get it? I mean, was he changed? Did he say, God, you're so right. I, I, I see that you care for lost people. I don't. Please forgive me. Give me your love for them. We don't know how the story ends. I mean, it's a story without resolution. It's sort of like going to a movie and everything is building toward this great climax. All, everything is coming together. And you can't wait. You're on the edge of your seat longing to know, how is this movie going to end? And it just ends. And the credits come up and the lights go on and it's time for you to go home. And you go, what is this about? There's no resolution in this movie. That's exactly what we have here. There's a story without resolution. Why? Because Jonah isn't the only one who needs to make a decision. I have to make a decision. And so do you. Because this is our story. It's a story that begins with God saying, Go. Go to the great city. Go. And it ends with God saying, Should I not be concerned about that great city? There are 140,000 people within a 10-mile radius of this building. And many of them don't know their right hand from their left. They're spiritually unaware. They have no saving connection to God. Church, what are you going to do about that? Seriously, will you be a church that cares for the unchurched, or are you going to be a church that is simply concerned to keep Christians happy? Now, granted, every church needs to build into its programming fellowship opportunities and opportunities for people to grow in their faith, to become stronger disciples, granted. But what is your mission going to be going forward? You have a great tagline, great mission statement, restoring our broken world by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you live that out consistently, faithfully, making sure your lead pastor gets on board with that as well? And what are you going to do personally? You know, if some fear comes back to you about getting to know your neighbors or, you know, the, a workmate or somebody else, and the Spirit of God is saying, go ahead, go have spiritual conversation with this person, are you going to pray against that fear? 
And if it's some kind of, you know, feeling of inadequacy or misgiving about sharing Christ, will you assume responsibility to talk with a trusted Christian friend or maybe to begin reading about it? You, you take responsibility for that. Will you notice people? And will you begin to pray by name for lost people? And will you be open to the promptings of God's Holy Spirit? Maybe it's praying for one, two individuals by name every day, open to the promptings of, your God, of God's Spirit to share Christ. You want some motivation? Every time you feel, you know, that voice that says, hey, this, you know, feelings of fears and misgivings and all of that, turn to the one who's greater than Jonah. Turn to the one who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth for you and for me, Jesus. Remind yourself of his grace going out to you. And then hear him say, go to the great city. And should I, you not share your concern along with me for your great city. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, hear our prayers of confession and forgive us of those times that we've been just like Jonah, cold and different toward extending grace to people who are far from you. Lord, may we communicate grace to them instead of the indifference and the pride of a Jonah. And may we learn the lesson from the weeks we've spent in this book that lost people matter to you. And so they need to matter to us. Father, help us then to so love you and others that with sensitivity, sure, and with lots of love, we're beginning this very week to find all kinds of ways to commend you to people who desperately need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.